Welcome back to a brand new, fresh episode of the Where Do We Begin podcast. We're absolutely delighted uh, for us to be in your ears. Uh, who have we got on today, Jackson? So today we have Russell Robertson, the uh, Melbourne cult figure. Yeah, absolutely great player, known for his big marks and his great snap goals and just one of the greatest goal kickers in Melbourne's history, one of the greatest players in Melbourne's history. Yeah, definitely should be a great interview. Yeah, but just before we get into it, uh, we've got... Uh, got to give you guys a bit of an apology because, again, we're on the phone with Russell. So uh, watch out for a few dips in the quality of his audio. The content is still absolutely perfect. Nothing different about it in terms of content, but just a bit of dodgy audio. So let's get into it. Yeah, let's go. Some bloody nuffies would have you believe that uh, penguins are flightless birds, but our high-flying guest today hails from Penguin in Tassie, and he's one of the greatest ever players to don the red and the blue of the mighty Melbourne Demons, and he's a true legend of the AFL, really. So a big welcome to the show to Russell Robertson. <laughs> Thanks for that intro, guys. <laughs> a very, uh, very, uh, you know, flightless bird that uh, turned that around. I, I didn't like that idea. I thought I'm going to make these penguin people fly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of high-flying, we always... Uh, Specky taken kid as a young footy player? Well, yeah, I was actually. It's not something that I really thought about. Um, it just was what I did. I, I didn't sit in front of the TV and, and you know, watch Warren Captor and Jezelenko and Gary Ablett and think, oh, I'm going to do that. It, for me, it was run out on the field. The ball's up in the air. I love to mark the ball. That was my thing. I wanted the ball in my hands. And it made sense to me to use their backs and their, their, their shoulders to get hollows of them to get to the ball. And, you know, I was always on the trampoline. I was always jumping around in the property down there in Tasmania. And we worked on a few things. And, yeah, it just sort of came together out in the footy field. So what was your junior career like um, playing in Tasmania? Yeah, it feels like such a long time ago now. I... Um, I suppose it was. Uh, it feels like it just went by so fast. It was a, a bit of a um, a roller coaster ride. I was sort of good, and then I wasn't, and then I was good again, and then I wasn't, and then ultimately it turned out. You know, I, I was good at the right time. Uh, I made representative sides. I, I, I captained a, a pretty um, awesome um, uh, opportunity we got to captain a side in uh, Hobart when we played the statewide tournament, which sort of set me up for the under 16s, and then I was sort of off and on there, but I came good. I, I think I grew to about six foot one. I was around about five foot nothing to six foot one in, in, in almost around a, half a year, and that helped me go to full forward and kick a few goals, and that caught the notice of uh, a lot of AFL recruiters, the goals that I was kicking and the marks that I was taking. Um, so the Tasmanian Mariners uh, in, in the VSFL, as it was back then, which is the TAC Cup, that came in, it was instituted, and we were playing against these really good teams like the Stingrays, and, you know, the Knights, the, the Cannons, and, and, and right underneath the noses of all the AFL clubs. And it was just serendipitous for me. The timing was great. My football came good, and I got to where I wanted to be, which was the AFL. How much did the footy show contribute to your high rise? Uh, I'm going to say a lot. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is I had a pretty good year that year, and I kicked something like 50 goals in. 15 games, and, and the ASL had a reserves grade back then. So Melbourne had a Melbourne twos, and we were playing at Punt Road in 1997. That was the case in 96 as well, and lists weren't always that healthy, so they were able to poach guys out of the VSFL or the Tack Cup to play and to, to groom and to have a look at. And Melbourne already had me play a couple of games that year, so they kind of knew who I was. And it may have come from the first mark that I'd taken that eventually won the Almost Footy Legends uh, um, segment from the footy show in the grand final week, which was wonderful. It did a lot for my <laughs> my cause, I suppose. And Melbourne, when they said that they, they absolutely took a gamble on me, um, I, that would have you know gone in my favour. They this, oh, well, he's taken this mark, he's won a car, he might be good, let's pick him up. And I went number 68, so bang. <laughs> so as you just mentioned, you were pick 68 in the 96 draft. How is it actually moving to Melbourne? I, with playing in the VSFL, you would have played against Melbourne against Melbourne teams every other week. How is it actually moving there and becoming a, a Melbourneian? Oh, I look challenging, guys. It was uh, the biggest challenge, really. Um, moving from 
Penguin, uh, which is a very small seaside town on the northwest coast of Tasmania down to Hobart South, which is the big city for me. You go down there from here and you think it's a tiny little town. So to come to Melbourne after that, it was a good progression from Penguin to Hobart, but then to get to Melbourne and land in St Kilda and training out of Fitzroy Street um, and living with uh, uh, someone. Oh, I was put with somebody and I bounced around a few houses in the first year. It was really hard to adapt and 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 get past the the longing for family and the family support, which is you know you need it. But um, worst things have happened at sea, and that's what Dad basically outlined to me. And I, I just had to hitch up my, my pants and go to work. And then you've got people around the footy club that are always trying to help players. They make it fun. There's events, and you end up assimilating pretty quickly. And and uh, and you know I, I never looked back past 1997, the end of the year after I played my first game. And, I felt really comfortable. I felt like I belonged. But before that, the whole of 1997 up to that point was a real battle, emotional battle, finding your place, understanding your ability, understanding your worth. And then you, you slowly but surely get it. Were you and Dad and the rest of the family D's fans growing up? No, I'm sorry to say I was a Carlton supporter growing up, which really hurt now. <laughs> But uh, we didn't know any better, you know. We, we lived down the northwest coast of Tassie. Uh, my papa spent some time over here in Melbourne during the war and, and uh, lived in Carlton. And he, I think that's where it came from. So it was just sort of handed down and there was a good presence of the Blues across the northwest coast. They came down and did some country clinics and things. And, uh, I, I guess I became a Blues supporter from that. But, uh, yeah, no, nah, I'm not a Blue fan at all anymore. I can't stand it. <laughs> was there a weird different kind of pressure going into Melbourne at that young age and them not being one of the greatest teams in the league? Yeah. Uh, look, as a 18-year-old, 17-year-old drafted, you don't think about that too much. You just think about how can I come across here and, and get myself sorted enough that I can play senior football and prove to everyone back home that I'm good enough. And that is a natural progression for any footballer. You don't think about premierships at the age of 18. Or if you do, you're a very, very rare breed and you become successful quite quick. And, you know, it's been interesting watching the Michael Jordan series and how professional he was from the start. I know they come into the league a little later over there, but for us as 18-year-olds, you're so wet behind the ears. You don't know, you know, which way is up and which way is down. You just want to get a kick and, show everybody you've got what it takes to, to last in the league. And, um, yeah, Melbourne were, an unbeknownst to me at the time, a, a bit of a basket case when it came to financials and memberships and location of where we were training. We were the nomads of the AFL. And I do remember walking into the Junction Oval and thinking to myself, my, my, my local Northwest uh, team back in Tasmania has a better setup than this. This is an AFL club. It was disgusting. It was... Shocking run down, but we made the best of it. And um, once we got Neil Danaher, we sort of, we, we lasted on uh, his inspiration, really. And, and we got to play a lot of finals football. So you made your debut round 20, 1997 against the Eagles in Perth. How was that experience for you? Oh, amazing. It's just phenomenal. You know, I, I can't even describe, fellas. I, I would love to, but it's, one of those things, you, you you walk out on the ground and it's sort of the culmination of a lot of years of trying to get there, um, you know, probably five or six seriously trying to get there and before that it's all just a dream. So a dream come true but then the the uh, eventuation of a lot of hard work. And, um, you know, over in West Coast, I remember the day quite vividly. Uh, it poured during the day. It was a night game. Uh, it was unfortunate it was over in the Western night at the MCG. I would have loved to have debuted on the G, but I oh well, happy just to play. My parents weren't there, but you know, watching back home, I knew everyone was watching back home. It, you just it, The build-up is everybody's calling or everybody wants to be involved. And, and then, uh, yeah, you're, you're eventually running out onto the ground with all the big boys. And, and I can't, I just can't describe the feeling. You feel like a fish out of You don't feel like you, need, you should be there. And, am I going to get a kick? John Walsog comes and stands on me as the first opponent. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to kill me. Um, but then, you know, you, you, you make a lead. Todd Viney kicked the ball to me, took it on the chest, went back and had a shot. Unfortunately, it was uh, a point. It was a bit too far out as far as I'm concerned. It was about 45 metres out. So wasn't able to kick a goal with the first kick. And, and you sort of just go from there. But it was the emotional... Uh, an unbelievable blast of emotion when you run out of the ground. You feel oppressively 
the air feels thick. Um, it's just this warm, fuzzy feeling that I'll always remember. In that first game, do you get treated in like a special way by your teammates or are you just another cog in the team, I guess? Uh, you treat you get treated in the first game as, as a rookie. You know, you get protected, really. You're not not so much expected of you. Uh, even in the first year, they want you to get the idea of the ideals of uh, AFL that it's a short time and you won't last long. Um, but you just can't get that. You have to you have to uh, learn it over a course of time. It can't be injected. Um, you know, I come into the team. I've got David Neitz next to me. I've got Schwarter, Gary, and Todd, and Jimmy, and these guys. And it, and it feels it feels great for me because I don't feel like I'm anything. They got to do the work, and I've just got to do the fluffy stuff. That's the way it was early. I was really lucky to have those guys next to me. No media talking about me. If they did. It's a blessing. It's a bonus. Um, the pressure's for them and. You know, I went about my stuff, just try to be exciting and, and the high fives from the teammates and the, the help they gave me in the, in the shed made me feel like I belonged. And I just basically had to get a touch, get a kick, do something exciting, tackle hard and away you go. Can you run us through your first goal in that game? Yes, sort of. I think same deal, took a mark from a lead. Um, might have been the third quarter I can't remember um, and it was probably only about 25-30 metres out and it was quite a, kind of uh, a nice angle so I really just had to go back and go through my no I, I don't remember it and it's weird I don't remember a lot of things but I remember strange things you know I'll be lying in bed and I can vividly, vividly see stuff but um, that goal doesn't really come back to me too much unless I watch the vision of it I show my kids the vision of my footy, and they're just not really interested at all. I sort of just, oh, that's good, Dad, good mark, and they walk away. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a different day, different age. So after the first three years, you really cemented yourself in the team in the 2000 season, ending up in the grand final. How was that season? Uh, 2000 was phenomenal, yeah. Um, I remember sort of getting towards the end of the season and being a little bit of out of sorts, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, pressure for the the spot and, um, you know, being young, you're not a walk-up start. And it really isn't a walk-up start situation your whole career. You're always trying your ass to do your best. But we were on an absolute roll. We had a good balance of old and new in that team. But we came up, we knew what we were up against, this juggernaut and Essendon, and and, and we just had to put our best foot forward and see what happened. And and it just didn't, didn't come together on the day. We hoped for some youthful exuberance and excitement to get us through and Really upset and surprised Essendon, but um, you know, after half time, after bashing us for the first half, they put their foot down, and, and they'll always be known as the 2000 Premiership winners. But we we were able to get there. We were able to sort of come from nowhere. We were the you know we really were. I know we're the blue collar team, we're a white collar team, but um, you know we're, we're we're training out of a decrepit old footy oval uh, grandstand in, in St Kilda, and we're training everywhere in the summer, and we don't get onto our ground until. April, we've got no money, we're paying 93% of the game. All those sort of sob stories um, you can listen to, but not a lot of supporters outside of Melbourne want to hear that. But there are some real, I guess, uh, hardships that Melbourne Walker have put up with for a long time. That year was no different, but we certainly had a great coach who, who got us up and got us to where we wanted to be. And we only had to learn from that that year and, and take it the next year and a year after. But unfortunately, we came up against some amazing Brisbane sides, um, you know, Essendon was still really strong, so it was tough. In those first four years, you were really, as a team, bouncing up and down in terms of the ladder in 97, finishing last, and then 98, making a prelim, 99, finished down near the bottom, and then 2000, making grand final. Did that yo-yo, I guess, nature cause much instability? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think... Um, Every year we sort of made it to the, the finals and thought, yeah, well, this is where we belong. We've got this talent on the list. We've just got to you know, put it together. And then I guess the expectations that were put on us for the following year, we weren't able to live up to. And it, that I put squarely down to not having enough facility to look after our players and help them psychologically. We didn't have the uh, skill coaches. We had half, I reckon, of what every other football club or the professional ones had, um, skill coaches, dietitians, all that sort of stuff. In the back office, we had nothing. And we were left to our own devices a bit. And I always say good players can rise to the next level. 
with good coaching, they learn and they go again and they learn and they go again. We weren't just we just weren't getting that learning. The small classrooms. Neil Downer was left with this huge club and not too many people to help him. That's not to disrespect those people that were there, but that certainly was hard for them because they didn't have enough backup themselves. So yeah, up down, up down. That's what we became until we sort of got some stability through four, five, six, and then we know the story from there. It was sort of went downhill. So. After that, you had sort of personal success becoming the top goal scorer for the Demons in four of your years at the club. How was that? Um, was it a big thing to become the leading goal scorer for the club? Oh, yes and no. It, to, to win it with 40-odd goals, I think one year was a bit of a slight on our, our team. Um, had, you know, guys been fit, they probably would have beaten me. And, you know, Jeff Farmer buggered off and went to Fremantle and, you know, it opened up. Things just sort of opened up for me in that regard, but never enough that I could go to football to stay there. Um, either would come back or would I try someone else. I was just short of a length to be a full forward. But when I did get my really good run there, I was able to kick 73 goals for the year. And that was when Nita was in and out and uh, um, there was no one else to go to full forward. So 73 from a, a guy who's really small and didn't make the All-Australian that year either, which is... A huge disappointment, really, because I, I don't think I'm worried more about the fact that I didn't get the title. It was more of a disrespect thing that I, I will never, ever get over. I don't think it's just, what have I got to do to get the respect from you guys? You know, win the best and fairest, come runner-up, and then kick 73 goals, and, and you still, you know, guys get in with 30 goals. So I've, I've been dirty on that for a while, but I'm, I'm not dirty like... I am about not winning a premiership. It's not about all Australians, personal accolades, best and fairest, those sort of things. Those things give you respect. They give you something to talk about to you guys now and say, yeah, well, you know, maybe I could do, maybe I could do it. But um, that year, 73 goals, you know, 30-something, not a bad return from a guy who's, who's pretty small. Eh? I was able to get the job done uh, for the team. That's made me feel really good. But, yeah, we were the up and down team. We weren't able to get that ultimate success and will forever be known as that I suppose and that's our legacy and it's just a damn shame. <laughs> you mentioned um, Nita, David Neitz, their fellow Tasmanian and I guess you two were the two of the biggest stars of the club at the time. What was your relationship with him like? With Big Nita? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, awesome. One of my best mates who was in my bridal party. We had when I felt seven foot tall when I was running out next to Nita, would walk down to our position and I felt this real brotherhood type thing. Um, you know, for me and for him, I suppose it was good. For others, I probably wouldn't care so much and didn't see it as much. But, you know, I loved it. He's the big guy. He was our best player. The uh, longest-serving captain. Absolute superstar of the game. Humble guy. Um, just a legend of a bloke. And I was able to uh, saddle up next to him and, and, you know, be his half or flanker or his pocket or his center or whatever he needed me to be. I was there. And I know I have his respect as well. He's told me so. Um, that, we, that we were able to for a good 10 years battle away in the forward line and be the, the regular two really the only two that stuck there for that amount of time and, and kicks and goals between us we were, we were yeah we had some fun So you were the club's BNF in 2003 but then in 2005 you kicked 73 goals in a season which, which season do you rate higher? The year where I was able to, to um, win the best and fairest was was great, and I think I just probably wanted to, by default, a lot of guys had a lot of bad years and injuries and whatnot, and I, I sort of was able to stick in the team and, and rise to the top. Uh, the year I came runner-up, and I think that was 05, um, was my best year on a consistent basis. I was able to... I mean, a lot of people say I was inconsistent, um, you know, flashy, um, and that was that was my game. Uh, one horse, one trick pony. Actually, someone wrote on Facebook the other day, I was a one trick pony. And, and it's, the muse is me that someone 10 years down the track could even want to write something about me. But one one trick pony really kind of makes me go, hang on a sec. You don't, you don't win best and fairest runner up and, you know, play for Australia by being a one trick pony, you know, taking marks. I didn't care about the marks. The marks were nothing to me. I did not give a rat's ass. I had to get up there to get the ball because I was so short and I was playing against giants. So I used my ability to jump to get the ball so I could kick a goal. Because you kick goals, more goals you kick, you're more of a chance to beat the opposition. So it's not about getting your name in a paper. It's about doing what you can for the team. And my job was to kick goals. And, and uh, I suppose 2005, to be really consistent, I think I was voted most 
consistent. Um, as a small half forward, flashy, inconsistent, energetic sort of what do they call them? Uh, enigmas to win a win a most consistent award is just vindication that I was not just a flash in the pan. I was actually a good footballer, and you know I know what Chris Fagan says about me, my mentor who was there at Melbourne for a long time. I know what Neil would say about me. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a happy man when I go to bed at night. The way things stand out with my football ability, I'm not happy, and I'll always be sorrowful that we never won a premiership. Uh, so Russell, just jumping back a year, uh, I remember I was only one year old at the time, but 2004 for me, I'm a Bombers fan, and what I remember, what I know about it is that. Melbourne were flying high with a few rounds to go top of the ladder and then ended up losing to the Bombers in the in a final, Essendon's last finals win. So it happens. Uh, what are your memories of that year? Uh, yeah, I, I remember uh, we were just trying to get it back. We, we got to the top of the ladder and I think, yeah, that um, we had a – I think we might have gone to the break uh, on top of the ladder and having that, um, I suppose, that rest, didn't make us relax at all. It, it probably made us panic go the other way. We started panicking too much, thinking, oh, now we've got to hold this top position. And we just, I don't know if we were mature enough in the head. Um, again, we talk about that facility um, of having uh, enough coaches per player uh, to help us and guide us through. We weren't able to be um, on top of our game when we got back and we capitulated a bit. And yeah, we played that final against. Uh, Essendon and, and again a good team and we'll probably uh, bruised and battered from the past um, uh, you know in our minds and, and we just we, we lost it and, and that seemed to be our the Melbourne Football Club story over the last 20 years whenever we get to finals it just uh, just doesn't seem eventuate So you mentioned Neil Danaher a couple of questions ago uh, can you just shed some light on your relationship with him over your career? Oh yeah fantastic I mean it's I haven't got a bad thing to say about Neil. He was hard on me. He had to be hard on me because I was a, um, I suppose, a, how do I describe it? Young fella from Tassie, um, you know, left to his own devices, uh, always sort of getting the fanfare because you're kicking the goals, taking the marks and you're in the paper and, 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 and people want your attention. You're not a back pocket plugger that, plugger that just gets the job done and no one really sort of pays much mind to. I got a lot of attention and, and I needed that guidance from him and I appreciated it. I'll, I'll always remember Neil's words to me, which were always the same, go out there and do what you do best, which is take hangers and kick goals because that for us gets us up and going. It excites us. Um, and if you're not doing that, if you're not trying to do those things, then you're not being true to yourself and you won't play well. You play inhibited. Um, so I, I, I was, he was fantastic for me, and he looked hard, hard, and I called him rowdy for nothing. He used to scream and holler, but uh, you know it was always fair and, and measured and done the right way. So in the latter part of your career, you struggled with a fair few injuries. How can you describe the struggle that you went through in those last few years? Yeah, I think um, I was. Injury-free my entire career, um, maybe a couple of little hiccups along the way, but missed not many games at all and never missed a pre-season. I was extremely lucky in that regard. Um, never did a soft tissue, um, but I did snap my Achilles. So that that, um, that leveled the playing field, I suppose. That was the uh, that was pretty much the signing of the papers for me. I, I don't think I necessarily lost anything at all. And people will say, oh, you lose a bit when you snap your Achilles. That wasn't the case for me. It was my uh, opposite foot. It wasn't my dumping foot. I still felt really strong and I came back faster, smarter and wiser, I reckon. But the game did sort of change in that six months to 12 months that I was away. It really did change to be a... Uh, to be a, um, a game of defensive pressure in the forward line. Um, and frontal pressure and, and, and different positioning, um, different positioning of forwards, um, playing high up the ground. Do you remember this, um, guys? It was um, a real, real Aaron Davy change spurred on thing. Mm. Uh, he, um, he changed the game a lot. I don't blame him at all, but it, it's just the way the game went. And, and I was probably seen as a little bit of a slow uh, uh not not adapted to that, but a slow transition player from for, for, from attack to defence. 
um, once I was in defense mode, I was pretty good, but it was hard to get me there. <laughs> I was always so attacking, attacking in the mind. And, and, and at that time, coming back into the game after having a 12-month layoff, I, I sort of, I felt um, at times dizzy. I felt as though I was um, slow. I, I, I couldn't quite get it. I, that was the thing that, that I needed to get back and I needed a little time with. Well, unfortunately, the club only gave me four weeks um, and they basically said, ah, oh, he's done. And they got rid of me. And I'm a bit dirty on that. You'll always be dirty on that, but that's just the way it goes in a professional sport. It never finishes up the way you want it to. So um, I had to go. I had to go. You did make a fair few finals in your career under Neil Danaher. and uh, But during the 2007 season, it didn't go too well for him and he ended up departing. Did his departure from the club kind of symbolise the end of an era and it was never really going to get much better from there for your career? I think Neil was tired. And he was tired of um, having to be uh, everything for the football club, the reverend. He was uh, getting to a point where a lot of his soldiers, David Neitz, myself, Uze, White, Leon Shelley, um, a whole bunch of guys, were getting towards the end. And... He was going to have to start moving us on soon or finishing us up. And I don't think that appealed to him so much. I don't think he wanted to do that. He had the choice um, to, to to stay or go, I believe. Um, the, the board at the time, there was murmurings that they were thinking about, you know, look, he's been there 10 years. He hasn't been able to give us the ultimate success. Where are we standing? And without knowing what was going on behind closed doors, I do believe that it was, it was an easy decision for Neil to move to the next thing. He was always going to work in football and be somewhere. The only disappointment disappointment for him or anything that he harbored might have been that he wanted to win a premiership with the club that he started with. Um, but he, he, he left probably at the right time, I think. I, I, I do believe in my heart of hearts that if he'd have stayed, we would have been a lot better than what we were over the next few years. We would have been not the basket case that Melbourne Football Club became, um, uh, beyond my time at the Melbourne Football Club, there were just some really, really ordinary years there, guys. That um, that you know really put a sour taste in, in my mouth because we worked so hard to turn that and build that club that was behind the eight ball in every aspect um, to be a viable uh, club. And up to 2006, we were exactly that. 2007, it didn't start off well, but it wasn't too far off, and never, nowhere near the depths of the lows that we got to. So, um, yeah, that, that's the Neil Danaher uh, story up to that point anyway, no football club. Like you said, it did turn into a bit of a shambles, I guess. But was there any embarrassment uh, with for you being associated with that at the end of your career? Yeah, absolutely, because you sort of get um, thrown in with that. But really, I was not a part of that 2009 season at all. I mean, that. 2008, halfway through that year, round 10, it, I was done. I, I pretty much um, disappeared from the um, club psyche, thinking um, maybe the supporters still wanted me there. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were looking for success. Maybe they were happy for it to go. But I think all of our supporters in their heart of hearts, if they were looking back and they were being honest, they would have loved their club or even their own thoughts to have been handled better. And that was to... Uh, harvest and harness the senior players that were there and get the best out of their final years and their knowledge and pass that on to the young players that were coming in instead of gut the place completely, deliberately lose uh, and make mockery of the kids that were actually playing and starting their careers out. Now, we talk, we can, you know, rewind back to when I first started talking to you guys today. Uh, when I spoke about playing in the forward line with Gary Lyon and David Schwartz and Jim Steins at the football club and I had these amazing mentors and I didn't have to worry about too much. I just had to get my game and my training in order, get my systems in place, get myself ready for um, you know football when I was 22, 23. But instead, well, I, know, I was lucky, but these guys, they didn't have that. They didn't. The forward line guys didn't have me to take the brunt of the blame when we lost or the best defender, which is what they said to me in my exit interview. You know, you play on the best defender every week. It's great and everything, but we need to pile games into the next premiership full forward, and that's not you. 
Well, fair enough, that's not me, but I can certainly help groom that player. And that was the biggest disappointment for a lot of us old people, that we weren't able to be honoured and looked after enough to be able to stay there as servicemen for the football club to help this next crop come through rather than just throw them to the wolves like they did, deliberately lose games of football to get draft picks, which was, look, at the end of the day, those draft picks were a lure for all of us, and a lot of clubs probably did the same thing but got away with it. Um, that was a bad uh, uh, few years for the Melbourne Football Club that I really wasn't a part of. Yeah, so that whole 2009 season just must have been so depressing being on the inside of it and it being your last season especially and you kicked like something, 20-something goals and was still the leading goal kicker and your final season, how did they break it to you that it was your final season at the club? Um, I think I, I made my return from my Achilles injury and I think it might have been against Geelong and I kicked two or three goals on Matty Scarlett and Scarlo said to me, true, true, I promise you, this the words he said, Scarlo and I had a really healthy, good respect for each other He's a good, hard, honest um, – everyone knows how great he is, but, but he's an honest person and, and an honourable person. And he'd do nothing – he'd do everything he could for you. Uh, and that's what I love about Scarlo and that's what I've heard about him at the football club. And I like playing around him because I learned stuff from him and, and, and I think he probably enjoyed being around me too because we're the same age. He said to me uh, at Senna Ford at the, uh, members, at the uh, punt road end, Geez, Robbo, you haven't lost a step since you've been away in the last eight months. Actually, I think you're quicker. And and he was playing on me, and he was just honest. He said, mate, you're going real well. I can't keep up with you at the moment. And I said to him, thanks, man. I feel great. I feel ready to relaunch. I'm 30 years old, boys. 30 years old. I've got two or three years left in me to really impart some knowledge to these guys and leave the game. Uh, keep 20 goals in 10 games. You know, I think I had three games and uh, Dean Bailey called me in and dropped me. He didn't really give me much of a reason at all. He just said, you're out. Um, and fair enough, he, he's okay to do that, but I don't think necessarily it was his call. Well, um, I don't know what was going on, but I do know that they were looking to the future and I wasn't a part of that future. After you left Melbourne, was there any opportunity to play AFL again? No, nah, no. Nah, I think um, the perception of me was I was... Um, injured, not defensively minded, the game was going defensive and I copped that. The other thing that didn't work my way was um, there was two new teams coming in um, and that were the GWS and, and Gold Coast teams and, you know, it was it was paramount that clubs picked up as many young kids before the draft concessions were given to those two clubs and you'd never get another kid for the next four or five years. So um, had the Gold Coast team come in, maybe they would have looked at me like they did you know, guys like uh, Campbell Brown and and Jono that went up there for a bit of a nest egg and nothing more. Um, and I uh, I didn't get that opportunity. And timing's everything, luck's everything. I'm not dirty, though, because, you know, my life's been pretty good. I had a bloody ball playing football and got so much more than I ever thought I would out of it. Uh, to finish up like that wasn't nice, but um, it was a terrible time for the football club and, and probably makes me feel a little bit better about it that I feel like had things been different there, I might have got a little bit more. Looking back on your AFL career now, you've been part of some special games, the grand final standing out clearly, but also probably not as big as the grand final. You were part of the last game at Princess Park against Carlton. What was that experience of that last suburban game like? Sensational. I mean, I loved it. I used to barrack for Carlton, so as we said, so to play... Uh, on that ground and be at my best that day. I was sort of um, going uh, at my, I suppose not my peak, but it was a pretty peak football that I was playing at the time. And, um, you know, to, to see Kuda Fides pick the ball up in the middle of the ground and I think maybe handed it to Johnny Nichols, I, I, I can't remember. But I was, to be a part of that uh, history was great. Um, you know, we played practice matches out at Big Park with Noble. I don't think we played any. I didn't get to play too much suburban football at all, but um, Geelong's pretty suburban. Um, yeah, it was pretty special. There's a lot of special moments along the way, guys. Finals that I think about. There's uh, a game over West Coast where we were a depleted team. They're the best wins when you're a depleted team and somehow you're able to get up and win. Um, the, the, the way you sing the song after those games is twice as loud and twice the amount of feeling. So 
Um, I think it was a game round 14 in 1998. We went over to the uh, West with a really depleted side. I mean, I think it might have been Todd Bryan, the unrecognisable player in our team. Everyone else, Stephen Tingo, and that was about it. And we were able to come away against a win against a mighty West Coast Eagles side. So that I'll never forget. I think I might have got the uh, Rising Star nomination that day. And I remember playing for Australia and the feeling after the siren went when, when we won. Nothing like I'd ever experienced before or again, even in football. It was a different feeling. Um, I've been able to, uh, you know, be a part of some special things like seeing with Olivia Newton John um, at the AMCG again, again before Carlton because of the Jimmy Stein cancer thing. And um, I've been on TV. I've been around the world. I'm truly blessed. You mentioned the Rising Star nomination against the Eagles uh, back 22 years ago or whatever. Um, does that nominee, Rising Star nominee tag, is that something you don't really care about or is it a bit of an honour to have that? Oh, no, I don't, don't really care about that. It's, um, to win it, like Byron Pickett did that, you would have been sensational. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, to be honest with you, I opened up um, a few bags and um, cases of, Remember Bealy that I've got there and, and found the jumper that they gave us with the Norwich Rising Star on it and the class of that year and to see the guys that you're standing next to, uh, Warren Treadray, et cetera, et cetera, and you sort of go, yeah, you know, it's it's nice vindication for me and nobody else. I mean, it's not special for anybody. It's just special for me. It may be special for my boys. At, I, I don't know into the future. It'll always be there for them. It's just for me. And when I go to bed at night, it is just me. And when I finish up, it'll be just me. And I'll have all those warm little memories and things that I never, ever thought that this life I'd get. Because I was just like you boys. Growing up, you, you don't expect much um, with your football career, your sporting career, if that's your thing. You sort of hope that, you know, one day you might be a chance to uh, <laughs> to run around on the, uh, the great MCG and do something special. And when the ball goes up in the air and you know that there's someone position perfectly just where it's going to land and you launch get up on them shoulders and you hear the crowd crescendo just as you take that mark and the lingering sort of sound as you go back there take your kick you know it you feel it and it is absolutely awesome <laughs> and i'll never forget it so you didn't mention playing on scarlo before are there any teams or players that you just loved playing against every single time Love playing against West Coast Eagles. I don't know why. I just seem to have my best games against those guys. Um, I think maybe I like the wilds and the, the spaces of the West. Um, the ground over there, Subi, was, was great. Um, I never did much good against Geelong. I did okay against Hawthorne. Essendon, I had some good battles with those guys. But no, no, there wasn't any particular team. I mean, I just West Coast sticks out to me. I always seem to play well against both guys. So we are recording this on what was supposed to be the Queen's birthday clash. How big was that for a player? Yeah, huge. Huge. When you're a player, you sort of don't think about it too much. Um, I, I remember now um, moments in it. Um, now and post my career, I look at uh, the game and how it's built up and especially with what Neil's doing now with the big three. Um, yeah, absolutely huge. And, and Neil tried his best to sort of get us up for us by, um, you know, playing special videos and, and trying to get us to understand it and get a sense of self. Uh, but, um, yeah, really, we tried to treat it off just like any other game, but we knew the crowd was going to be loud. And there was one, a couple of special occasions. For me, I think one game I kicked seven goals, and that was all I hear. I hear about that game more than anything else in my entire career. And just moving off the AFL career now, post uh, AFL, I hear you've played some country footy, but what else are you doing with yourself now? Yeah, thanks. I'm um, I'm into the music. Obviously, um, um, been playing um, in bands for a long time now and doing the solo thing a fair bit now and not so much at the moment. I've just got back to gigging again where restaurants are opening and we'll see what happens post-COVID, but <laughs> it is indeed post-COVID. Um I've, uh, I work for Icon Sports, which is uh, um, a sporting apparel uh, company. Um, 
And I also worked for the Mount Football Club, doing media stuff. I've been doing some stuff over the last couple of years with Channel 10. Uh, always sort of been associated with Channel 7. Um, things just pop up for me here, there and everywhere, and, and life's eclectic and fun. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky I can pick and choose a little bit where I go and what I do. Certainly weekends are filled up with sport. My son's sport, Melbourne Football Club, I work for those guys a lot. Corporate events and uh, out on the ground, game day, pumping out the crowd. Uh, it's a many and varied thing, guys. So uh, I'll settle on one thing soon, I'm sure. Uh, you spoke of the uh, game day emceeing. It's uh, it's the same venue and doing it in front of the same people as playing, obviously, but it's a very, very different job. Did the Melbourne Footy Club come to you asking you about that or did you – how did that come about, I guess? Oh, that came to me. Um, they were looking for – they obviously knew that I could put two words together on a microphone and gave me the opportunity. You know, they uh, – they think that it's, a, well, they know that it's a better uh, look to have a past player associated with their club still. And, and, and I get that from a lot of supporters. They love it. They, they come up to me and they openly say, we love seeing you out on the ground, Robbo. We love hearing you talk about our boys and our Ds. It, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It's a strange thing. It, it, <clears throat> you would think, you know, why? Why would that even matter? But it does matter to our supporters to see that their past players still see that that club is awesome because they're probably sick of hearing how crap the Melbourne Football Club is over, over the last however long. And that's fair enough. Things are coming good now. We've had some good years with the, this new crop. Unfortunately, it didn't go well last year. And the year before that was sensational. And we're hoping for better things with this, you know, bastardized season that we're going to have. Uh, but yeah, they, they always say to me, well done, Robbo. It's so good to see you still associated with a club. It's my club. Of course I'm going to be. I love the Melbourne Footy Club. Always will. Yeah, and just seeing that passion you've got for the club, it's just great to see, I guess. And I think that just about wraps us up in terms of questions, but uh, we've got a bit, bit of a tradition on the show. At the end of the show, we like to do a little quiz between our guest and Jackson. So are you happy to do that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I've got five questions for both of you, and you just got to buzz in with your name. It's a bit of general knowledge, but all the questions tie into your career a bit. So... I'll start off with question one. So, born in Penguin, Tasmania, of course. Can you tell me which Penguin-based movie stars Elijah Wood, Robin Williams, Brittany Murphy, Hugh Jackman, and Nicole Kidman and is about Mumble not being able to... Oh, Russell, go for it. It's got to be Happy Feet. Happy Feet it is. (laughs) It's 1-0 to Russell. And uh, Jackson's not on good form because last week on the show um, we had a football uh, soccer player on and he lost 8-0. So hopefully oh, he can, can do I mean, that. I was sort of waiting for the question to end, but that's okay. Now and now I know what was going <laughs> that's on. That's all right. It's free for all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Russell, yeah, Melbourne's fourth all-time leading goal kicker. Uh, so obviously five others in the top six of all time. Can you name three of the five others? Uh, Russell. Russell, go for it. We'll go. Gary Lyon. Yep. At number three. Brad Green. Brad Green's not in there, I'm afraid. Ooh. So I'll go to Jackson. Um, David Neitz. David Neitz is number one. I don't know many Melbourne players. Um, let's go Jim Stein. Norm Smith, Norm Smith, Fred Fanning. Come on, there's oh. Jack, you all up. <laughs> Russell, oh, I don't Russell really just take, gave you two more. I just don't really take too much notice for the two. Demons. <laughs> Jackson. I'll give it to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got to give the point to yeah. got, um, that We've got David Neitz at number one, Norm Smith at number two, Gary Lyon at number three, Russell at number four, Fred Fanning at number five, and Jack Muller at number six. Uh, Brad Green just yeah. uh, at number seven, uh, 28 you got to check those. You've got to check those facts, mate. Gary Lyon is not number three. Russell Robertson is number four. Is he? Oh. You might have got the older version. I don't know we, what you've got We, there, we might have. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Giving bit, Gary a bit too much praise. But we'll move on to the next question. Yeah. Question three. Yeah. So uh, you're known by some as Rusty Robertson. So rust. Yep. Rust is formed by the reaction of two elements – in the presence of water or air moisture, what are the two elements? Oh, God, that's got to be. Uh, I'll, I'll have a scrap rust grow with oxide or something like that, is it? Uh, oxygen, yeah, uh, I'll give it to you. 
oxygen. You give me oxygen and it's got to be salt, sodium. Salt's not correct, sodium. No. Uh, is it carbon? No, it's iron. Iron and oxygen. Got to brush up a bit on your year 10 science there. So, uh, <laughs> question number four. Is it – Russ is up 2-0, I think, yeah. So um, – I think we can all work out the origin of the name Robert Sun, Robert's son, you know. Uh, so yep. Robert Elias, or Elias uh, who later changed his last name to that of his stepfather, was an actor and director born on June the 24th, 1936 in New York City. What is the name of Robert's son, who is also an actor, current day actor, pretty famous man? Did you say his surname was Elias? Yeah, but he later changed his name uh, to uh, his last name, to that of his stepfather. Uh, Redford? Robert Redford's incorrect. <laughs> Jackson, I'll let you buzz in and they'll give you a clue. Um, oh, honestly, I have no clue. I, I'll, I'll give you a clue. I'll, so yeah. I'll open it back up to both of you. Um, the son is also called Robert something and he has played a superhero. Robert Downey Jr. Robert, Robert, Robert Downey oh. Jr. is correct. Three nil up. Uh, <laughs> so um, question number five, our last question, but Jackson's still in the game because uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of the show, Russ. Most people are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our last question is a who am I question. So we're going to go down from five points all the way down to one point, giving a series of clues. And, uh, yeah, just once you've buzzed in, you can't buzz in again until the other person's got it wrong. So I'll start off. Okay. Uh, with the clue for five points. Uh, I'm a singer who was born on the 5th of September, 1946. No. No. No chance? Okay. I'll go to four points. Jackson's got to get it here to win. I've got 15 studio albums with my band as well as two without them. I'll go. I'll I'll have a stab, Russell. Go for it, Russell. I'll go. Is it Tina Turner? Tina Turner's incorrect. <laughs> so, Jackson, yeah. do you want to have a stab? Yeah. Uh, go for the win? No, I'll... I'll oh, um, yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. Okay, I'll move down to three points. So, uh, I died on Russell's birthday, the 24th of November, 1991, in London. Uh, Jackson. Jackson? Jackson, go for it. Is it John Lennon? John Lennon's incorrect. Oh. <laughs> Um, John Lennon died in America, I think, and it was uh, a few right. years earlier. Um, so, Russell, it's now opened up back to you. Do you want to have a stab? Is it um, David Bowie? David Bowie's incorrect as well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> still uh, with Jackson for two points. Jackson, I was born Farouk Balsara in Stonetown, Zanzibar. But this is not uh, the name I'm most well known uh, for. Russell. Russell, go for, go, it. go for it. Go for it. Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury is uh. correct. You a big fan of Queen? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jackson? You uh, get around him. Get around him a bit. Yeah. And um, for those along playing along at home, for one point, uh, I had Rami Malek won Best Actor at the Oscars in 2019 for playing me, Bohemian Rhapsody. Freddie Mercury, that's of right. course. And so that's good win for Russell. I don't think Jackson got a single point. So well done, Russell. Not a good run. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think that's about just about all we've got for you. So massive thanks for coming on, Matt. Good on you guys. Yeah. Really appreciate really appreciate having the chat to you. It's, uh, it's always good talking about me. And how good was that, Harper? That was very, very good indeed. Russell Robson, big thank you for coming on. And uh, what is our outro topic for today, Jackson? So our topic for today is Tasmanian players in the AFL. Tasmanian players in the AFL. That's what it is. So um, there's been a few down the years, lots of famous ones. Uh, Russell being one of the best. Who who have you got in your mind? So the first one I can think of is the uh, the Rewalt cousins, Nick and Jack. Like in, uh, they're the biggest ones in sort of recent memory. Nick got, being one of the, the best players of all time in the St Kilda Football Club. And fellow um, Tigers player along with Jack, uh, Matthew Richardson, Richo. Uh, I think he's a Tasmanian. And yep. um, I think, of course, uh, Russell Robertson's, we mentioned him a bit in the pod, David Neitz, 
uh, all-time record games for um, Melbourne. Uh, only player to have played more than 300 games for Melbourne. Yeah, what a superstar. Yeah. I just remember back in the day, just Neatsy just – Oh, he was an intimidating man. When whenever you like were playing in Melbourne, you just sort of like, oh no, Neitz is, is playing. He's, he's going to be on his form. Yeah, won the Coleman in '02, I think. Neitz, and you've got um, I think Alistair Lynch as well. Uh, played for Brisbane and Fitzroy for a bit. Three-time Premiership player. Yeah, of course. Uh, who else have we got? From I think we've got a few other Melbourne players. I think Brad Green might be from down there. Wow, what a forward line. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that the Tassies just. Yeah. Just got that. Uh, Gary Lyon as well from Tassie. And I think um, the famous song Up There, Kazali. I think Roy Kazali might be down from Tassie as well. So, yeah, we've got lots of high flyers down there. Well, um, Common thing. Odd, odd Collingwood player, Brody Holland. I don't know if you remember him. He's a Tasmanian. Never heard of him too honest. But really? Nah. Oh, he's a prominent What, what player. era? Uh, he's mid-2000s. Mid Brody Holland, uh, he's a bit of a pretty boy, but a good good player, very decent player. He played for Collingwood and Frio. Yeah, I think at um, the Bombers right now you've got Tom Bellchambers, the big ruckman. I can't think of too many other current Bombers from Tassie. Uh, I think Rodney Eid, oh. uh, he's a bit of an icon. He's been around a few clubs coaching and playing. And, oh, how can I forget about this guy? Andrew Phillips. The great man, you've heard of him? No, uh, no, I can't. No, I can't imagine I have. Well, he's um new signer for Essendon this season. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, big ruckman. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. the one from Carlton. Yeah, yeah, yep. played for GWS as well. Ah, yes, Andrew yes, Phillips, yes. Yeah. Um, Grant Birchall from the Hawks. Grant Birchall, yeah, Grant Birchall. But what's your opinion on um maybe having a Tasmanian team in the AFL? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love it. Uh, but I think. So many good players have come out there. Like we said, and Peter Hudson, of course, I think we've forgotten about him, uh, the famous Hawks player. Um, it, it was a bit before both of our time, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was a cracker. And I think, yeah, to having a Tasmanian team would just be really good for the league and the community down in Tassie. And, uh, like, I don't see why not, really. Do any objections from you? No, nah, no, nah, I feel it should happen. I think they will be the next, if not... Um I, I wouldn't want somewhere that already has it, you know? Yeah. Northern Territory as well. Maybe. Maybe there. That'd be cool. Yeah. But yeah. I think Tassie first and maybe then the NT. Yeah. If you're going to bring in a team, you'd have to bring in another because you wouldn't want an yeah, exactly. odd amount of teams, you know? So maybe you could get rid of a, I don't know, Gold Coast or a Collingwood or something and um, add in your Tassie and your Darwin <laughs> team. Uh, <laughs> That's but, a big call, mate. <laughs> I don't think we can go that far. If you um, think of any other famous uh, – is it Taswegians? Is that the word? I won't have a clue, mate. Tasmanians? I think I don't know. But um, yeah, if you think of any other famous Tasmanian footy players, let us know on our socials at uh, WDWB Pod on Facebook uh, and Twitter and Instagram. Sorry, and at um, where do we begin on Facebook? And of course, our Patreon. Massively appreciate it if you could help us out on there. We'd just be absolutely tremendous. And yeah, so we'll see you next week for what should be another cracking episode. See you, mate.